Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James Fufriel. I'm excited that you're here with us today. We have a really, uh, really cool guest, young entrepreneurs who grow businesses from scratch and then scale them like maniacs are some of my favorite people in the world to talk to. And we're going to get to our guest here in just a second. I have a disappointing announcement, though. Um, It turns out Dean's noble steed uh, had an accident. He was, you know, a little bit injured. Hopefully he'll be back soon, but I have to welcome Dean to the studio today without the noble steed. So that really isn't the fanfare. And I know that's disappointing for you, Dean. Right. It's rather lame. I like, I'm just going to wheel myself <laughs> in on, on some kind of broken chair or something. Just on like a rolling office chair. Is that how you came right. in today? Yeah. Yeah. With three wheels. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's disappointing for everybody, but what's yeah. the, uh, what's the ETA on getting your noble steed back on, back in the saddle? Hopefully within the next week or two, maybe. Yeah, crazy. You're just yeah. you're just riding him too hard, weren't you? Yeah, but I do just want to give props to that sentence you just say, scale like a maniac. I, I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of scaling like a maniac, let's welcome to the show our guest, uh, Prady yeah. Tawari. How are you today, man? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. I'm, I'm super excited uh, to be on on this show. I uh, have yeah. listened to many episodes myself, and so being on and providing value, man, that's that's what it's all about. Oh, it's one of those rare instances, James, where someone said they listened to the show and still wanted to come on. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And here I thought your mom was the only one listening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe we need to get updated stats. Right. <laughs> Well, Brady, uh, it's great to have you here for a couple of reasons, not the least of which, if I had to do this show with Justine, uh, you know, it would be very disappointing for me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you're here to be able to provide that buffer between us. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's always good. You know, a lot of the shows you have like one host, but I have always found that where there's um, two hosts, I have a show with, with another host. And honestly, it makes the dynamic so much better because one, of, one, of, one person will ask a certain question and the other person will compliment and you get the best out of, I think, the guests. And you'll find that your audience like attaches themselves to one or the other character. So I just think it increases the bandwidth of the amount of people that uh, enjoy listening to you guys. So yeah, I'm really excited <laughs> for you. Thanks. It's actually funny. It's true, isn't it, Dean? Like some people will come up to you and like talk shit about me and vice versa. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I talk a lot of shit about you. Like sometimes I just write things down. Just I find myself in the middle of the day just just writing stuff down about you that I just dislike. You have a, a volume of journals, I'm right. sure. Yeah. I'll so, uh, <laughs> without uh, without more uh, nonsense, let's actually get into the content. Oh yeah, I forgot of about today's that. show. So <laughs> so Prady, I introduced you as somebody who understands how to you know basically start a company from nothing and then get traction in the market and then scale like a maniac. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I would like to say that this is my purpose and my passion, and everything I do is just hyper focused around this. And when people talk about scaling, you know, we 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 use that word quite, I think, liberally. You know, so sometimes you have businesses that are scaling and they're using a lot of outside capital and venture capital funding or your loans. And for me, my concept and the thing that I've been focused on a lot is how you can make the best out of literally nothing. So with very limited capital 
bootstrapped and really finding ways in which to touch the most amount of people possible. And I think that for me, as far as like my definition of entrepreneurship has always been that how to be the most resourceful person in the room with the least amount of resources and how can you stretch that out? Um, and that's always been my passion, man. That's amazing. So is it like a game for you to like see how much you can stretch out of what you have? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I think it's definitely um, a game, and you and it's something that like you go from one business to the next, and it, it really isn't really about um, just like the rewards or something. Those are kind of just they come along, but for me, it's like okay, I want to do it all over again on a new one. And the more underfunded and the more problems there are, um, I like to go in and really turn that around. I try to look at you know underappreciated assets and really turn them around as much as possible without using massive amounts of outside leverage because a lot of times I've also felt when I've looked at companies and startups that they do get a lot of funding, what ha- ends up happening is that you cover up a lot of the problems with mm-hmm. just cash influx. And so a lot of the basic problems underneath that are foundational issues get covered up. And one or the other way, they start exposing themselves. But sometimes when they do, it's kind of too late. So I, I don't like to use that strategy as far as like my business are concerned. And I'm always like, okay, we have our business here. How? What kind of strengths do we have and how to leverage that to the max? So yes, it, I would say it's kind of like a game, but you, you, have, to, uh, you have to enjoy the process because you know, entrepreneurship and like many of your guests will attest, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a crazy thing. It's not a whole lot of people can relate to it and you got to find some joy in all the ups and downs. So it's kind of sadistic in some ways, man. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> so so, so uh, when, you, when you first started doing this, what, what was your first business? Like we've, uh, one, that's one of the questions I love to ask sometimes, you know, how you got started in being an entrepreneur? Like, why did you decide to do this? Was it because you wanted to make the money? Was it because you're like, hey, these challenges are cool, or was it something else entirely? Yeah, for me, um, honestly, like the, the the money and the rewards, it just it wasn't something that I was honestly focused on at all. Um, and so, and and there's nothing wrong if that's the case for many people. I, I think it's totally subjective. For me, uh, my first business was pretty simple. I used to listen to um, a lot of people, like as far as I came to college here um, to the states, and someone um, in that I was I was really into working out, going to the gym, and someone once said, "Hey, man, like I I need." I need like protein and, and pre-workout and like all these supplements, but I, you know, I don't know where to order it because I need it right now. And, and if I order online, it's going to take me a while and I don't have a car to go to GNC. It's kind of a problem. And uh, this was before like you had one day delivery and anything like that. And um, I started noticing him saying that. And then another person started saying that. And then people at college would like carpool, put money together to get a car to go to GNC to get their supplements. And I thought that was great. Um, so I was like, oh, well, if people, if there's a need for this, maybe I can, find a way to um, address that need. So pretty simple. Uh, the next day, I, I called up a distributor uh, that had all these you know, top brands. And I said, hey, um, I want to buy some inventory from you um, wholesale. And they're like, well, do you have a store? Who are you? And I was like, no, not really. But I'm thinking about starting one. And here's my name. And they were like, wait, who are you? You know, as a kid calling in, I was like, I think 17 or 18. And then I told them, I can't pay you right now for all this inventory. Just give it to me at net 30. That'd be great. And let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> and uh, for one way or the other, the person thought maybe I was kind of crazy or something. I probably appreciated uh, my, my guts of just calling him like that. And he said, sure, let's do it. Uh, net 30. So I got all this inventory and I put it in my dorm. Uh, so basically I slept on the floor and my entire dorm room was filled with all this inventory of protein and 
all this creatine and all these supplements. And what I would, what I did is I put up a website online, and um, basically people wanted to, on campus who wanted to order stuff instead of like a two day delivery or like a three day or whatever delivery, like most websites, we offer twenty minute delivery. So if you, anyone who wanted the protein or anything on campus, I'd have a bike and I would just deliver it to them. Now, the cool thing was that I'd figured out now kind of the test was how much extra would people really pay for quicker shipping at Mm. quicker delivery times? And the answer was a lot. So we were marking them up significantly. And basically, long story short, that was the first business. And what I did is I was able to pay off the net 30 terms pretty easily um, from all the profits we made. And yeah, that was kind of the first business. Uh, it, It ended up being a success. I ended up uh, selling my my stake in the business because we grew that and we had all these people you know driving around their bicycles at, on school like delivering all this protein and all these supplements. Um, but really, the the lesson there is a couple things. The first is just you got to listen to people's problems, uh, which is a lot of people know about. But the second thing I've always found too now that some people bring their ideas to me um, is that you need to have some sort of product market pull before you build a sales force, before you go and and try to make a big deal about it and you get an expensive website. And I think a lot of people do the inverse. They say, I want to start a business, so I'm going to start one just for the sake of starting one. There isn't a real problem that they're solving. And if there is a problem they're solving, they don't really know what the market really needs it. So they do the inverse. So here... I listened to a problem, tried to test it out. And then after that, I started building a, a company and a team around it, which is a little bit different. you know. So that was a big learning lesson for me. And that was my first foray into entrepreneurship. That's an awesome story. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love you riding around campus on a bike delivering protein oh, yeah. powder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was definitely awesome. We are doing a lot of that. And then I, I was like, man, I, I couldn't do it anymore because I had to go to class. We're getting some <laughs> orders. So I would bring in freshmen because I was a sophomore in the, uh, my second year and I'd bring in freshmen. And they were getting paid and it was, it was just a great system. Um, but yeah, it ended up working and a little bit lucky too, because a lot of people start businesses and then first few don't work out. But you know, this one was the, kind of the real first one I'd done uh, that had worked out. And then after that, um, you know, more and more people started coming with their business ideas to me. And that that's how that kind of kind of whole jump, the, the whole process really jump started, man. It's just like doing the first thing, doing it right, just saying what you're going to do and just doing it. It doesn't have to be, you know, an eight figure exit or a seven figure exit or anything crazy like that. Just saying, I have a business, you end up employing people, you make profits and delivering your promises. Just being competent in that part of it, it will do massive things for your own personal brand because I think that most people aren't able to even reach that level of competency. So even if you accomplish a little bit, that alone will become something that will drive a lot of value and traffic uh, to you down the line. That's awesome. So let's so let's talk about a little bit about your way of seeing things and kind of like your your method for processing stuff and going, mm-hmm. you know, because in that in that particular case, you clearly started at ground zero, and then you grew it into something. And you mentioned uh, starting with product uh product market pull is that mm-hmm. what you called it yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah what so what does that mean and how do you do it yeah so i think um and this comes from conversation so this is a conversation that i'm having more often than than i'd like to this is a lot of entrepreneurs they they create a business because they want to create one so they're like hey i don't like working for someone else or I wasn't good at school and all blah, blah, blah. And that's their reason for starting a business. But the fact of the matter is the market doesn't care. Like we, the three of us right now are using Zencaster 
we don't, I mean, I don't even know who the founder of Zencaster is. I don't know their story or that they had a bad childhood or whatever, something happened bad in their life. That, 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 you know, that's sad and that sucks for that founder. But we are using Zencaster because we need to use a software that records tracks separately and gives you the best quality podcast when you have guests on. That's why we're using mm-hmm. Zencaster. Uh, but a lot of entrepreneurs miss that boat. They are more saying, I don't know what to do with my life. And I don't want to work a nine to five, so let me just start a business. And for me, that is a very odd reason to start a business because you're starting it to serve some of your own needs and not because the market truly wants your product. So product to market pull, the way I see it is that you have a product that the market really needs um, and the market really wants. And you have proof of concept that the market wants your product and then building a company and a business around it versus the opposite way because we'll hear it very often hey man i'm not doing well in school so let me start a business what do you think what kind of idea what, you, what should i do I'll let me think about business ideas and then they start an llc then they start a web get a website and then they get a logo mm-hmm. but they don't have any any product that anyone really truly wants and the way i've always seen it man new businesses shouldn't really exist although i'm an entrepreneur and i love creating new business we shouldn't really exist because existing businesses are better funded, have more resources, have the manpower to start new products uh, better than new businesses can. And they have the wherewithal to also fail much better than new businesses can. So if you're starting a new business, it's already so hard and you already have no business starting one. So if you're not, if you have no product to market pull, if you don't, if you don't think it's really serving a big need for people, um, I think you're going to, um, you're not going to succeed. And you know what you can do sometimes, you can buy cash flow, which is you start a small business and it generates cash, but it's not what an entrepreneur, how an entrepreneur should think, which in my opinion is how to be, how to scale and how to touch the most amount of people and continuously grow, which for me are two different things, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So nobody's walking around saying, hey, here's a product I need. Like, Can you go start yeah. a business that gives it to me? How do you dial in to what the market wants to even be able to, you know, find those ideas or test the proof of concept. Like, what's been your experience in, in making that happen? Yeah, the the the, the real thing uh, for me has always been you got to listen. You got to be really tuned in to what people are saying and what they want. And people will oftentimes talk about a problem, and then you can be there and to solve it. But here here's a little caveat in that because. You know, if you're starting a business and you're like, well, there's many other businesses and, and co- companies already doing that same need that you're already fulfilling, I don't think you should start it because another business is already fulfilling that same need. However, you need to be that person who's fulfilling a specific need for a specific group of people, and you're the only one. So I'll give I'll give you an example. So when I got into dietary supplements, which I which I sell right now. I started noticing that a lot of supplement companies, they sell dietary supplements and that's what they do. But a lot of customers, what they were doing, they were going online on the forums to talk about the product that they were using. They're like, hey, how should I use this? Where, where should I use this? You know, What's the best time to use it? And there basically was no community for people who after they had purchased a product that would serve them, right? Because most businesses are very friendly to you when you're trying to make a sale, hey, how are you doing? You want some water? How can I help you? But once you've made the sale, they don't care about you anymore. Like it's over. So I started noticing that. So what I did is I created a dietary supplement company, uh, Azit, which is a nootropic company. But what we did different, we created a community around the product 
that serve people post-purchase. So while people can say we're not the best nootropic company in the world or best supplement company, you know, they can definitely argue that. But for people who are looking for a nootropic, there's many options. But for people who are looking for a nootropic with a community around it, mm. they don't have anything to compare us to because we're the only one. So being the only one to serve a need will allow you to create what I call, which is what all entrepreneurship entrepreneurs should strive for, which are monopolies. That's what we should be creating. And some of the, um, I, I know one of the guys that really talks about this that I heard live speak about this was Peter Thiel uh, from PayPal. And he made a great point. He said competition, or he kind of framed or coined the term competition being for losers. But there's a really good lesson there um, because I think a lot of us, we think constantly about how to compete and make something better. I don't believe in that because by default, if you're better at something, it's it's temporary. Like you, someone is always going to outcompete you, or outprice you, or outscale you, or outfundraise you. So that is always temporary. And if you're constantly competing, what you're doing, a lot of your energy is constantly going in trying to win against the competition, and it's not going into listening to customers' needs because now you're like, oh man, I'm worried about my competition. Let me try to fight them. And then you also have, also have to worry about your customers and you're trying to help them, but you can't do both really well. So one of the best ways for you to scale is to have no competition, to be a monopoly where you're the only one in that sector who fulfills that current need. So there's going to be many podcasts. There's going to be many uh, entrepreneurship podcasts. But if you're looking for an entrepreneurship podcast that's hosted by two people that bring on guests that give you actionable advice for marketing for small businesses, then there's just just the tips. There's just no other option. So that would allow you yeah. guys to just focus on providing as much value and scale your podcast unfettered without competition. So just to answer your question, you got to listen to market needs, but then also find out how you can you should never be competing. Uh, you should always be being the only one for that specific need. If that makes sense, mm. that makes a lot of sense, Dean. I think uh, yeah. I think we should hire Prady as our person for PR. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we got the uh, the nice uh, soundbite from this one there, didn't we? Yeah, we'll just wrap it up right now. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So, uh, so let's talk about your nootropic company. Yeah, I mean, I my understanding is that you started uh, from ground zero, no no people, no capital. Yeah. And in like 18 months, you sold over like 11,000 units and had a multi-million dollar company. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We we actually um, that was our first. Year. We, so we just uh, we're just um, actually just sold a little bit over fifty thousand, and we we've we've done really well um, for sure. Um, yeah, and exactly. That's kind of we we I literally started myself. I was in law school at the time. Uh, it was my third year at law school, and. Uh, I saw a need again where people were using a lot of caffeinated products and study drugs at school, uh, including myself. I was using a lot of stimulants and it just wasn't working for me. And I was like, man, like a lot of these performance enhancing supplements like caffeine and pre-workouts and energy drinks, they're all made a lot and they're tested for athletes, but there isn't anything mm -hmm. for everyday performance. What about the working mom or the student? Like there really wasn't anything there for them. So I saw, I found out about these ingredients called nootropics and I put one together and I brought it into commerce. And that's been, um, that's how I started. But how we really scaled that business um, was something similar, I guess, was um, I only focused on because I didn't, you have to, as a startup, you have to recognize your limitations. So one of my limitations is I don't have, you know, I don't have the funds from big venture capital, uh, you know, money coming in, I don't have any employees. So the question then is, what am I good at? Like, what can I do that the big companies cannot? Because I always say this is that you cannot do what the big companies can, 
But the fact is that the big companies can do what you can do either. So you should revel in that fact. You should make that your strength. So what I did is I got our first 500 customers, which were early adopters, and I only focused on them. I just focused on them. So what that meant was I wrote handwritten notes and I nurtured the post-purchase for our product. After you purchase the product was just absolutely fascinating, which was I would call them, I would message them, I would send them cards, I would talk to them, ask them what their pain points were. Like I was so engaged with our first 500 customers. So then those 500 customers then told their friends and their family, and then it spread through word of mouth because I had just enough resources to reach 500 customers. I didn't have the resources to reach 10,000 customers, but those 500 customers, they were the apostle, apostles for, for the rest of the um, rest of the growth of the company. Um, you know, that, that was a huge part of it. That's, that's amazing. So, uh, sorry, Dean, you have a question? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, what I, what I love in what you're saying there, like, you speak to so many people that always see a lot of things as a disadvantage, but whereas you clearly see the opportunity in those things. I think that's amazing. That's, th- that's so key because the fact of the matter is like you have to play the cards that you have and everyone has certain cards that if they play them right, it could be, they could leverage that. And I, I think that's where I've always come in. Like sometimes I come into smaller businesses that are doing, maybe they're stuck on, you know, maybe 50, 60, $70,000 in, in profit. They're just kind of stuck in that in that frame. And sometimes they're just sitting on on something, but they're not recognizing it. And we hear that very often. But what they're very focused on, they're going on, you know, reading books and podcasts and ebooks. And they're like, oh, well, this company is doing this. So I need to focus on that. The problem is that's not your strength. Mm -hmm. Like when you're starting off, like you're like, man, that business is really focused on video. So I should do video. But if you're not good at video naturally, and if you don't have the wherewithal to uh, hire people for video, like then you're going to you're never going to be you're never going to be great <laughs> at it and the fact of the matter is like i said earlier the marketplace doesn't care how far you've come in life they don't care about your racks to riches story they only care about your racks to riches stories once you have become rich they don't care about the market only cares about being the best for the marketplace so you need to find out what you're just naturally good at and that thing you need to scale that. Just focus on that. Forget everything else. And so I've seen small businesses that you know were really good, for instance, at getting email addresses, but would never email anyone because they're like, oh, email is old school. We're not using email. And then they used email and that ended up scaling. In my case, for instance, I really like talking to people. Um, and I was like, that's my, that's my forte. So I would pick up a phone and call my customers and talk to them for 30, 40 minutes, an hour, see how they're doing. And that became my thing because... I can do that, but the big companies, they can't do that. The founder of a you know, multi, multi-million dollar, a billion dollar company cannot call all their customers because they got so many. But me, I only had a few hundred, man. Like I was a small company, mm-hmm. so I can call all of them. You know what I'm saying? So I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I hope that people listening to this right now, they think I'm doing a little inventory. Man, what am I naturally good at? Maybe it's talking, maybe it's podcasting, maybe it's video editing. And just if you're starting off with your business, I want people just focused hardcore on their strengths. That's what's going to really scale at scale as quickly as possible, massively, because the marketplace doesn't reward best effort. The marketplace rewards just the best period. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I think that's incredible. Yeah, and I I love like it's it's funny you're just saying that. So just 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 a quick thing with with something that we're trying right now that that's working well that that kind of feels exactly like what you're saying. So we've been doing some of our uh, 
advertising online for a new offer of ours. And it's just, you know, we're just starting it slowly and we might be getting, you know, a handful of customers a day from the ads. And uh, so we, we actually have a guy now in the office here. And one of the things that we've looked to do, we just phone every single one of those customers every day now just to say thank you and find out, you know, a bit more about them. So yes, it's uh it is one of those things, like you say, the, the bigger companies that people often compare themselves to and almost try and follow in their footsteps, actually, that's not necessarily the right approach. Yeah, I, I think I think that's huge because we we tend to look at other people and it, it, it's honestly, it's so, um, it's so intimidating. Like you start with a business, whether you guys like started off with this podcast, like if you're just starting off, you're like, man, look at all these business podcasts, look at how many guests they have, look how cool their website is. And it, it's almost daunting. And I think that's what mm, really yeah. scares people off because like, man, where do I even start? And then you have like a whole list. Okay. I got to do SEO. I got to do blog. I got to, I got to do Instagram. I got to have a YouTube. And it's like, dude, like you can't do all this stuff in the beginning. So just find out like what you're really good at and, and do that. Right. Because anything else, honestly, in the beginning is going to be a waste of your time because you're never going to be phenomenal at it. Right. And so I've always used to tell this story when I was younger, I have really bad handwriting. It just was horrible. And so my teacher would tell me to stay after school to learn how to write better. <laughs> and so they had this program. I grew up in Switzerland. They were very strict. And so um, for five days a week, I had to stay two hours after class to learn how to write better. Like it was an extra. Oh, wow. And so think about it, that's 10 hours uh, every week. You take the whole semester, you do that for three, four years. You have hundreds of hours that I spent to improve my handwriting. I came to the States at high school mm -hmm. and guess what? We had laptops and I never wrote again. So <laughs> the answer here is that my handwriting today, even after hundreds of hours is maybe better, but still like number one, I'm never using it. And number two, even if I am, it's never going to be the most, the best handwriting in the whole world. So like it was honestly, if I'd spend those right. hundred hours in focusing on public speaking or getting better at like, mm -hmm. you know, just general writing, which I'm really passionate about or coming on podcasts, like, you know, creating my own personal brand, stuff like that. Like I would have been so much better off. And I think a lot of us in this country and just general, our concept is, dude, you got a weakness. Let's work on your weaknesses. And so you're balanced and you can be good at a little bit of everything. But if in, this is not for projects, this is not for personal development, but I'm talking about business and entrepreneurship rewards sure. the best, you know, the cream of the crop and that, you can only, if you have a natural talent for something, go all in and all your weaknesses, I wouldn't even focus on it. I would hire it, outsource it, or just not do it. Mm. Well, I read, uh, I read a quote that somebody uh, said uh, from you that said, know yourself profoundly, understand your strengths and weaknesses and how to leverage them. Once you do, you'll be free to pursue whatever you desire without restraint. I was like, correct. That's, yeah. yeah, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So let's so yeah. so maybe just shift gears for a minute. So we've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, some of the mindset around around starting and uh, you know, doubling down on what you're great at. You we've talked about scaling or we we've, you know, kind of at least said the word a handful of times on the show so far. What what does that really mean and how do you do it? Yeah, so scaling, you know, the way that you kind of um define it is just as the word really implies, you grow your operations with the number of customers served and the number of and, and the revenue that's generated. They need to grow and correlate with each other as you grow, right? And, and one cannot be, you know, you can scale where you're saying, hey, we're just growing our number of operations and we're growing our, our employee base, but our revenue is staying kind of stagnant. Um, that for me isn't an ideal way to scale. Ideally, both happen at the same time and preferably you can find ways in which to increase your revenues without increasing your operations. And so 
What that really entails, honestly, man, is to create systems within your business. This is where a lot of people, a lot of people have heard about this, but startups and small businesses are really, really bad at this. Um, Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, the way we do small business and way we, and I say we, because I used to do this a lot, it was what I call the brute force method. So you have a small business or a project or a podcast or a blog or blog, and you start off and everything's kind of disorganized. Like some, and it can be something simple as like something's in this folder, something's in that folder. Um, you are basically the person, if you're not there anymore, then the business or the project just doesn't exist because it's highly dependent on you being present. And I'll give people a story. I was um, one of my first few businesses, I was about to sell that business. And we were close to finding uh, a number that worked for me and for my company. And I remember when during the due diligence phase, I had someone from the other side, from a private equity firm, come to our operations, come to our uh, company, which we had a small headquarters, small office. And I remember after they were done with their due diligence phase, one of the partners came up to me and said, Pretty, we can't do this anymore. And I was like, why can't we do this? Like, what's the problem? He said, I got a big problem. I was like, well, tell me, what's your big problem? He said, my problem and why I can't buy your business is because you're here. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what do you mean I'm here? He, and basically what he was saying is that me, as the owner of the company, was involved in every step of the way. I was doing the distribution. I was in, in, involved with the manufacturing process. I was involved in the accounting process. So if I was no longer part of that business, man, like the business would collapse. So the business had no intrinsic value. And so mm-hmm. scaling basically means where every process of your business is highly systematized. And that means that you can write it on a note card. And any single person who you, know, who you don't have to train that much can understand how that can take over that process basically efficient, uh, as efficiently as possible and as painlessly as possible. And the only thing that you're involved in is the strategy part of it. If that makes sense, and most businesses they can't do that. They're brute forcing their way in, into every into everything, where the the founder is involved in every step of the way and just being a massive taskmaster. If that makes sense. Yeah, Dean, he's speaking my love James, language. I instantly felt you get more excited then <laughs> from America to the U.S. Like, and as soon as soon as words like systems started arising there, I instantly felt the tone change. Yeah, well, I mean, this is like this is the soapbox that I've been preaching for years now. It's that, you know, getting, getting started is one thing and that's a super important phase, but I feel like a lot of people just continue to push harder and harder and harder thinking that's the path to growth. And you can't like, you have to think in a different, entirely different way. And I think, uh, what you articulated is, uh, a core, core belief of mine. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. And I've talked to a lot of founders, and they they say the exact same thing as you just said, man. They said they say, hey, I'm stuck on this revenue, and I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, how's your work life like? They're like, man, it's horrible. I haven't gone on vacation in years. I worked you know eighty, ninety, hundreds of hours. I'm pouring everything to this business, but we just can't grow more. Like, we're just kind of stuck. Like, my work that I'm putting is not proportional to what I was hoping to get back. And I was like, well, okay, you know what we'll do, man. Why don't you put on a piece of paper everything you're going to do for the whole week, like all the stuff that you do for your business? And what's crazy is that if you look at the list of the jobs that the founders or the people at top are doing, it's all tasks. They're just a task manager. And I tell them that. I'm like, hey, man, I got to be honest. You've put in 100 hours you know, the past weeks and stuff, but all you've been doing has been tasks. You've been, these are all things that are easily outsourceable. And of course, this is for companies that have a little bit of revenue where they can do that. Um, but all you've been doing is a taskmaster. You're not a CEO. 
you're not an entrepreneur. You just do tasks. And of course, it's a very uh, shitty thing to hear when you're on the opposite side. <laughs> yeah. like, man, I've just sacrificed my entire like well-being and my health and my family. And you're basically saying I'm a taskmaster. But I say that, so I'm actually doing them a, a, a service because people don't realize that. And it's very difficult. It's easy for me here to say in the outside, and I can see it. But even myself, like when I'm deeply involved in a business... I like, I, I start mm-hmm. doing everything, man. I'm like writing the emails. I'm doing, I'm looking at the flyers. I'm looking at the, the graphics. I'm looking at the Instagram and, and you forget and you think you stick a step back, man, which big massive action did I take for my business? Which strategies did I put in place? How did I change the culture of the business this month? And, and the answer is you don't. And that's why small businesses in America mm-hmm. stagnate because most of the people at the top, they're just doing tasks every day in and day out. And so Big vision changes, the massive changes, whether it's through mergers and acquisitions or changing the culture or changing the organizational dynamics. It's just not happening because the founders are busy working, you know, in their business all the time. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's so easy to, to to fall into that trap, though, would be, you know, a bit of a thought in my head. Because, uh, James, do you remember you actually you actually put me through this exact exercise uh, about two years ago? Do you remember when you were helping me with uh, yeah. you know, the sort of scale and take, bringing on a team? Yeah. Like I, I sat down, I did the exact same thing. James was like, write down everything that you're doing. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, I had questions like, who do you think I need to hire? What positions and all this? And, and I went through the exact same thing. And it just became very evident, like like you just said there, is that you know most of what I was doing was just tasks. Like it wasn't it wasn't really contributing to growth or systems or anything at all. And most of what I was actually doing could be done by other people really, really simply. And and now, like thankfully, thanks thanks for going through that exercise, is you know, now, like you say, I can just be focused on improving the systems and strengthening those and looking for new, new opportunities within those. It's that, that, that in itself, just that exercise. I, I think anybody that's listening to this, if they, if they feel like they're just like a busy fool almost stuck within their own business, I think everybody should do that today. Yeah, it's vitally important, but it's, it's tough. And like you said, I do want to be sympathetic to anyone hearing it. It's like not a, you know, it happens to the best of us. And some of it too is like, it's a trust factor too, like, because, how do you know when you can outsource something to someone else? Like it's, you know, a lot of people, entrepreneurs right. are like, yeah, you start that business. It's been with you forever. It's almost like, you know, people say it's my baby mm-hmm. or whatever. I kind of disagree with that concept, but for a lot of people, it becomes very emotional. And the problem with when you're too emotional mm-hmm. about your business, um, it becomes very difficult for you to delegate tasks and to maintain trust that right. the other person is going to do a good job. Because how often don't we hear entrepreneurs say, Oh man, you know, my biggest issue is I can't find anyone who wants to work as hard as I do. Like no one works mm-hmm. as hard as I do. I'm the hardest worker. Everyone's lazy yeah. and everyone I hear that all the time. And my question is, is everyone in the world so lazy that no one you've able to hire is is good or are you just a helicopter parent where you just don't want to delegate any trust? And so you, it, it's a give and take. So I think for a lot of entrepreneurs listening in, um I've had a rule is where if someone can do the job about 75% or 70% as good as I can, I will outsource that. And the reason why I will give up for that 30% is so that I can focus on the bigger tasks and the bigger strategy things um, that will actually bring the, the company forward. And then the question is, well, which tasks do you outsource? Which do you keep? And I've always had what I call the music test. So if I can listen to music while I'm doing that task, that, that means I should definitely outsource it. If I need to use all my brainwaves and then strategy-based stuff, then I'll, I'll keep it to myself as long as possible. Mm, I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, there's there's no there's no shame in this. I think that's a really good point, right? This is a predictable 
thing mm-hmm. that happens to all of us, even when you know this stuff, right? Like you were yeah. just talking about, yep. and and it's something you got to be constantly vigilant about. But if you're not, if you don't have that awareness, then you're never going to be able to change. So embracing the awareness first, I think, is mm-hmm. a you know is that first step and saying, okay, well maybe things aren't exactly where they need to be, but that's kind of okay because I got to this place by doing something right. Now it's yep. time to you know reevaluate and take yep. things to the next level. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you like two 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 things on this subject that, <clears throat> that I know. Sort of looking back on my own feelings and thoughts in those situations. Number one, when I was like doing all the tasks, you you have that feeling inside of you, I think, or at least I did, where you think, "Well, I'm the one that has to be doing these things." Like people don't know what I know. <laughs> you, know what I mean? like, you you feel attached to that. To that thing because you think you've gone through the pain of learning it and the experience and you get so attached that you think well I'm the one that needs to be doing all of this and and I would say I would say to add on to that as well another another very strange feeling and and phase I guess if you want to put it that way that I had to go through was actually when those things did start getting offloaded to other people and I started hiring staff and training those in those areas to run those parts of the process it's actually a quite an odd feeling I found to not be needed. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, I don't yeah, it's, I it's very that bizarre. I, every time, like, I'm so involved in a process and all of a sudden I'm stepping away and then, you know, it could be like whether I'm doing something else or like an outsource it and I like say, I'm, I'll be doing something else and I see the jobs being done and the process being completed without me. It's kind of a weird feeling in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with you. And it's it's like something where you're like, man, I was the one doing this and now it's just happening um, automatically, but you, you, and, and, but I think that should be celebrated because then you're like, man, you know, now I have this free time. What am I going to do with it? And you you'll notice that that's really when you can set the direction uh, of the company and really take it to the next level. And you know, you mm-hmm. can take some of the some of the the the, the world's greats, like you say, you know, Warren Buffett talks about this, where he spends he he claims that he spends you know over sixty or seventy percent of his time reading and strategizing. And you know, if that's really the case, I mean, he 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 isn't able then to do all the tasks all day, but he can be then in in return, he is becoming one of the you know greatest investors in the world because he has time to reflect and to think. And that's something we don't really often do. We don't spend ta- spend time thinking like at all. Like just thinking about, hey, where, where's this podcast at? What should we? What else should we do, be doing with with Just the Tips? Or what else should I be doing it as? Like, what am I not doing? How can I grow? Should I maybe purchase another company? Should I, you know what? What's the strategy here? And so, just thinking about it, um, just sitting down and briefly, I do this a lot now. I, I force myself where twice a week I spend you know three to four hours where I put my phone away and I just think about my business and what what it might need that I'm not mm. thinking about on a day to day basis when it's just a rat race. You know, you're just running around and doing tasks. So. It's it's a great opportunity. If you have if you're capable and able to delegate tasks, man, like and, and and if that happens and it's successful, you should definitely take every opportunity to do so. Yeah, hundred percent. You yeah, gotta if you know being strategic about what you're doing can take you like you know so far in one direction versus another direction. Like it's you know when like I use the analogy when you're golfing, right? It's where are you aiming when you're at the yep. tee box. And it's like, okay, a couple degrees at that point makes a huge difference in the amount of energy you put into something and what you're actually doing. And we all have the same amount of time in the day. So we might as well be focused on the most strategic things. And, uh, yeah, man, what I could, I could talk to you for probably like a couple of days straight. So, um, I gotta be careful cause I don't think we can have a podcast that's a couple of days long. So Prady, real quick, if people want to get in touch with you or just follow you and see what you're up to, like, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Yeah, the best way uh, for them to do that um, is to go to um, getazoth.com. So G-E-T-A-Z-O-T-H.com. You'll find a lot of my articles and my content on there. There's a newsletter that I write. I write twice a week and I and it's it's there's zero. I don't advertise on that newsletter at all. There's no talk, nothing. It's just about, I talk about topics like this. Um, and if people are looking for me on social media, they can look me up. Um, and this is not my handle, but if you go to Instagram and you look up uh, Pretty Tawari, P-R-A-D-Y-T-E-W-A-R-I-E, You'll find me on Instagram and I try to be as active as possible. Also have my own podcast called The Enlightened Millennial, um, where we share a couple of couple of these things and we talk about business and and uh and life success. But yeah, man, it's it was a pleasure, pleasure to be on and thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. What a what a great conversation. Thanks for uh thanks for all the inspiration and you know everything that you shared with us. Really appreciate it. For you guys listening, definitely uh follow Prady, uh, if not on his blog, but elsewhere. You know, he's uh he's a rock star and growing and scaling companies. And if you're uh, an entrepreneur on any level, you definitely want to be hearing what he's up to. So thanks for all of our listeners uh, for tuning in today. And we appreciate you guys. Make sure you share the show, tell your friends about us, and we will talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.